You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, a podcast by writers with day jobs. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Dan Libman. I'm Kelly Daniels. And you are listening to probably Personal Rejection Letter, maybe something else. I think we should let the listeners in on as much of the behind of the behind the behind the curtain, behind the behind the, the pod stuff as possible. Yeah, behind you can the just scenes. Say behind the scenes. Behind backstage. the scenes. Backstage. backstage. I think they're fascinated by it. So we're a we're a podcast in flux, in transition. We don't know how we're gonna end up, but right now, all we know is it feels good. Ooh, feels good. Mighty fine. Kelly and I are in the studios of, do you say WAUG or W-A-U-G? Both. Augie Studios, Woggy Studios, and uh, I feel like Siskel and Ebert, you know, across the aisle from me is Kelly Daniels, Professor Emeritus. How many people, Emeritus, um, how many of our listeners know who Siskel and Ebert is? Sadly, all of them. No. Our demo is, uh, no. no, yeah, I don't know, that's a good question. We're going for the kids. Okay, yeah, they were very old critics, back when people got... There are news on newspapers. They used to write things down. Anyway, you're right. Who's who's that? Uh, anyway, welcome to the show. Are and you welcoming, welcoming me or everybody? I'm welcoming everybody. everybody. Well, I feel welcome. Gabe is here. Holly is not. No. And um, we miss her. But uh, today we are going to begin, as we always do, talking about old business. I don't know if you got a chance to hear last week's podcast, <laughs> but um, I also remember... <laughs> Some of the things that do you, do you want to revise anything? This is our revision segment where we make a revision of something that we. It's also fresh. Usually, regret creeps in slow mm-hmm. for me, and you know it's like a slow illness, a little bit of a cold, and then a fully stuffed head, and then coughing up blood. And right now, I don't even have the. I only have the tingling in my nose, so it seems like it was okay. I I don't really have anything I want to take back. Right, that was really. a good extended metaphor. Was it? Just to keep the writing uh, motif. Yeah. Tropes. Started Um, and it went to the end. I think it was good, too. If we were going to revise, I always say to my young people, pay attention. When you revise, always cut. Always eliminate. Yeah, we were a little long. We went a little long, so we'll try to revise it by keeping this one a little bit short. And today's topic is independent publishing (laughs) versus uh, letting the big houses take your work and disseminating it that way. Um, the reason why I'm not exactly sure what to call it is because it, it has a whole bunch. They used to call it vanity publishing, vanity presses. You would send them your, your work and a check, and they would publish you. Now they call it independent publishing, or is independent publishing something different? There are there are all sorts of different models now, some of which we'll cover on this show. I know a couple of people who have gone that route. I know people who have published books and decided for various reasons that they want to independently publish have more control over it. They're just paying the press to, to uh, usually to print it, not really to distribute it. But nowadays, distribution is mostly done online, so it's easier to distribute your work. And they've had some success with it. I also know some some failures. I've got a couple of notes. Do you want to jump in? I think that we should make this more of a conversation instead of a uh, you know a couple of speeches. A couple of speeches. I yeah, I don't have a speech about it. I. Um... I'm just of the old school in various ways in that I think that a print 
publication on the journal level is more valuable than an online publication, even though the online publication, I know this is a separate thing, yeah. but it's related to me in my mind. I'm sure. just talking about how kind of old fashioned I am in my thinking um, that even though an online publication often is going to see more, get to more eyes, mm-hmm. it still just doesn't seem to carry the same weight, um, same value. And maybe that's just my imagination and it depends upon the, the publication and I just think that if I believe in getting somebody else to sponsor, to agree to sponsor my book, um, and my book is in a small press, which the, the lines blur between, but it's a small press that does print runs, which is another distinction I make between print doing a print run of like 500 books. Let's face it. That's kind of the deal, the, what I'm dealing with and or dealt with in my yeah in my uh, book, and that's a pretty common kind of thing among poetry books or these little art books and small presses, but there was a pride in the fact that somebody else was willing to put the money up and to believe in me enough, whereas just doing it by myself, I think I would have not felt that pride or that I didn't feel like I've gone through enough of the filters. It's what it seems to me is additionally published, even on a small press, um, you're having to go through certain quality control filters. Um, and I, I know that's arguable, maybe because there's a lot of stuff that is published in, all, in big presses and, ev- and small presses that are not good at all. So that anyway, Dan, that's my, my take on it is that I shy away from, and I have some manuscripts yeah. that, that are just sitting there doing nothing. And I wouldn't mind saying, hey, I have three books instead of one. But I just don't have it in me, and I don't begrudge people that do go that route. It's just um, it's a personal decision that you make, and there's pros and cons for sure of all of them. You say filter. The independent press people say gatekeeper. Why should the gatekeeper, just because they invested in a press, why should they have the ability to choose what gets disseminated and what doesn't get disseminated? That's the other argument. I agree with you. My my book came out on the university press, which is sort of the low end of the um, publishing I you know I mean what would the, first there I think there would be academic presses then small presses then then the big presses which is and the big presses would be the ones you've heard of would that I guess I don't know I I think university and small press it, they're all blended into one thing right um, there are some really cool small presses and then there's also sure. medium sized presses that aren't you can't call Grey Wolf a small press at this point I agree and there are some very hip successful small presses and then there. And like I said, soft there's, and... yeah, there's, there's small presses that, that do um, print on demand. And so they aren't actually making that much of an investment up front. Um, and that's very different from doing a print run. And so I, I think it's, they're just, the categories don't quite work very neatly. That's the problem. And, and so when you, when you talk about a book, has it been published by a, you know, a publishing house? Just to give you another example. Somebody I know published with uh, a particular press where she had to pay for the first run, but they said if you sell X number of books, we'll publish your next book. We'll pay for it. And um, she told me the number that she had to hit. I mean, she was very. I don't know how many books she sold. She was very optimistic she could hit. I think it was five thousand or something like that. I didn't think there was much of a chance that she would sell 5,000, not necess- not based on the quality of the book. I, had, I hadn't read it, but just based on what I know of how many units get moved on a regular book run. I mean, 5,000 is more books than myself that was printed as well. That was an academic press. Um, 
so and I know that I didn't sell out all. I, I can't remember the number I had, but it, you know it's hard to it's hard to move units. It really is. Once you've sold to your friends, this is your first book. Once you've sold to your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your relatives' relatives, now you've got to actually get out there and do the book readings. You do book readings. You can sell three or four books at a book reading, maybe. Um, once you've done all the bookstores around your house, nobody's paying you to travel around. You're not doing a book tour. How are you? How are you going to sell if you don't do a, not have a name? I don't think a book tour sells very many books at all. I think it's mostly just they're something fun to do for fun. Yeah, yeah. and um, I think that the way that people sell books and the big presses is that the big there's a whole other level of the the business, which is that they have regional salespeople that go to all the Barnes and Nobles and then negotiate. It costs money to sell books, so the book that sells. 100,000 copies, it is not – the press is paying for that book to sell right. because they're paying the Barnes & Nobles to put it in the front of the room. And so correct. So they're investing in a book thinking that maybe it will take off. But often those, those big selling books actually lose money because so much money went into the advertising and especially the distribution. Those That's what I – I talked to somebody who owns a – couple of people that have owned small presses and they say they can't compete because it's just money it's like having these regional salespeople is how books move. it's real estate you have yeah. to buy real estate just like in a grocery store you have to buy shelf space and the petting tables i believe is what they call them where you walk yeah. in and you see like a table and it's it's put out there those cost more money than to be on the shelf and to be faced costs more money than to just be stuck between two books so, yeah, how does a small press compete with that? And certainly if you're, if you're going the independent route and you're publishing yourself, how do you compete with that as an individual? Well, you can't. I think generally um, traditional book reviewers don't – just won't by policy review self-published books or independently published books. Maybe that's changing a little bit. I think bit. it has to be changing. I think nobody can tell what's an independent book anymore. Nobody can tell what's a vanity book, what's not anymore. I think you can tell. Well, you can tell if it's a, you know, if it's a huge, big market press. But I think it's harder to tell the difference. Like I said, because there are some presses that, are they, in fact, I know there's one press that licenses a book. They'll license a book for two years or something, and then the license reverts to you. But the who gets paid? I think is, it's very easy to tell. You Google the press. Okay. And then you can tell on the front page what kind of press it is. You very can clearly tell. when it says... Oh, authors, we love to see your work. And then you get into the fine print, and it's like you pay, and then we help you. Right. We give you a marketing package. How many people are blah, doing blah, blah, that, blah. though? Like when you, when, you, when you pick up a book, how many people are going to research what the – Well, I think that the – I, you know, Kirkus Review – you have to pay Kirkus, by the way. Yeah. That's how Kirkus Review works is you need to pay 500 <laughs> bucks to get a review. The whole thing's a profit deal. And um, But like Library Journal or Booklist – is that right? Book these ones that are basically yeah. hooked. They're how how libraries or publishers weekly reviews. Those guys, I think they're savvy enough to know the difference. And the reason why they don't they have this policy is because hundreds of thousands of it of self published books appear per year. Right. Hundreds of thousands of them plus the I don't know how many you know traditionally published books appear per year, but that's got to be a giant number too. And so somebody has to make the decision of, like, what are we going to review and what are we not going to review? Um, so anyway, I just I, – I think that uh, surely maybe you could self-publish your book and then make it seem 
like and well and it it may be the book blogs are even a better way to get your book out there to get a review in a book blog rather than in you know the Kirkus review or whatever right. so i don't know um but i think it's a continuum not a strict category yeah i agree and um i know that you know with my small press book i got you know a dozen or so reviews and solid you know reviewing bodies um and it, but it was clear that there was a publisher that wasn't me and yeah. it, and also there was a publicist who was sending it out that was you know had connections in the industry um so you know what sort of things when you based on your experience with the press you said it was a small press but what sort of things did the press do and what sort of things did you do what was expected of the author how much of the workload did you have to carry um they had a website they had a facebook page and they would put up news um when it when it happened but i think i was expected to do uh, you know they <clears throat> obviously did the printing the cover um but actually, I got my own artist to do the cover because I right. just liked it better. I knew a graphic designer. and um, They were amenable to that. Yeah. It, it may not have been a – there was probably some conflict in the conversation we had, but ultimately it worked out. Mm-hmm. And um, they – the press has a distributor, um, Ingram, which is one of the mega right. distrib- distributors. There's only like three of them. And, yeah. Um, and uh, – they originally had small press distribution as well, and I was in that catalog, so they put it in that catalog, and right. then they dropped that distributor. I don't know if they were charging too much money or whatever. Um, and then they sent out review copies to a million places with a little presser. I helped uh, make the press release, just that, but they came up with Aft and the publicist. So it was a it was a shared thing for sure. Yeah. And, and it's probably enjoyable to work on it. Oh yeah, I enjoyed. I, I made it as my well. own website, or got Augustana College has a sort of an outside company that's run by students or mm-hmm. worked by students, where they do websites at a reasonable rate, and uh, and they give professors a special rate just because we're in house. But uh, it's something I pay for and uh, maintain. And so yeah, it's I'm sort of my I definitely am investing in my own career for sure and the press that you know my book was published three years ago so i don't it's not like my book is like hot news at this point Mm -hmm. but it was a shared responsibility and it would have been nice to have a press that had a big giant expensive machinery that was there to get the book out and and my duty was very clearly defined whereas the way it happened was more i could do as much or as little as as i wanted but you know and Amazon carried it, which is – this is another way that independent presses or vanity presses are able to sort of blur the line a little bit. It's hard to tell on Amazon uh, as a casual reader what you're looking at exactly, what the, you know, which press is which. And it seems to me that Amazon um, – like there's that Kindle Unlimited. Right. I think they they give out free Kindles that are largely – independent public uh, independent writers because you know what i mean right so you pay a subscription fee and you get all these books that are free but it seems to me that amazon puts some of their into because amazon is a 
publishing house now. At this I mean, point, for sure. And uh, the, it's independent publishing, and then they get to promote their own writers that they want. And I think they have an algorithm for if you get a certain amount of reviews, you get you show up more in their searches, et cetera, et cetera. And it, I mean, it seems like you could get a pretty decent sized readership doing that. I know that there's a lot of lists from when I look. There's um, um, they don't just have bestsellers and uh, thrillers and fantasy book. They have a whole. They have everything segmented down, and so yeah. you could really finely uh, tune your search to something very specific. But what it does, what you aren't able to filter out is traditionally published versus licensed books or independent books or something. So no, you can't. Yeah. So I mean, it, it is a it is a way of distributing. I can tell. <laughs> I can tell immediately. I mean, I really can. It's just there's. Well, how can you tell? It was so it, the covers. You yeah. can tell by the cover. You could tell by the amount of reviews they get. A traditionally published book is going to have pages worth of reviews. You know, the top one being the New York Times book review, and by well known, and then the independently one, and then as you go down the food chain mm-hmm. of the publishing thing, the reviews there are fewer reviews, and they get more. And then it becomes just like reader reviews. They're the blurby. They're, it's always like so-and-so author of such-and-such, and you can tell it's another self-published book, and it's sort of like a log-rolling situation. Yeah. And so I can tell, and um, I mean, there's a great um, tradition of self-publishing. I always bring this up just when I talk to students about it. Yeah. I say beware For sure. that this may not be the best career move, um, but um, but Walt Whitman self-published and you know song of myself was self done and a lot of those early books of that period they anise nin is self-published originally oh yeah yeah um and walt whitman even wrote positive reviews of his own book and he was a newspaper man but he would do it in pseudonyms oh that's amazing yeah and he also took wrote a he sent a copy (laughs) to emerson yeah and said and emerson wrote back a nice and with a letter Emerson wrote back, oh, you're good. This is great, kid, blah, blah, blah. And it was a personal letter. And then <laughs> Whitman kind of edited the personal letter and published it under Emerson's name as a positive review. Like a <laughs> and Emerson was completely, like, offended. Yeah. And he was just like, what? Like, and so. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. So our, you know, one of our great literary heroes was very much a self-promoting shyster but and you can even see Whitman like his poetry is full of that kind of energy I suppose and it's great and it's oh it contains multitudes and also when an established writer starts publishing his own stuff I mean Stephen King sort of dabbled in that for a while he's publishing his own material Um, yeah and I think it might have he might consider it a failed experiment he was trying to reach a certain amount of publications he wasn't able to do it so he's back with the traditional presses but there was some no- the great deal of noise about this maybe 10 or 15 years ago we should he pop- published with a small press and i heard him on fresh air really amazingly interesting guy just in terms of an interview like i mean i wanted, oh yeah oh yeah he i mean I, whatever his books i read them as a kid and i liked them me too um i haven't read them in many years and i don't think that i would like them now but um he was like a real good interview and just like I would totally like to hang out and have some beers with this guy. Like yeah. just super cool, super smart, not like brainy smart, just insightful and uh, a very regular sort of a cool guy. Um, and Terry Gross asked about why he published it with a small press and he didn't answer. He said, eh, I don't worry about that stuff. That's not 
He basically has an agent that makes all those decisions, it sounded like to me. And probably the small press just gave him a slightly better royalty percentage than the big press. You know? right. I mean, that was probably what it came down to. A small press isn't going to worry about losing money on a Stephen King book. Yeah. But they might lose money on, you know, a lot of the small presses, I mean, I don't know how deep we, we want to go in this, but a lot of the small presses are funded solely on uh, contributions and they rely on arts funding and that sort of things. Yep. Um, so you as an author, you have uh, a large responsibility to help promote it. And, and I guess then for most people, then the question is you, you've written your manuscript, you've sent it out, you're not getting the response you want. This may be a little bit personal, but at what point do you start looking down that independent publishing route? I'm not there yet, um, but I can see at some point me just thinking, uh, maybe I will just do that and then say goodbye to it. I mean, you're basically throwing it down a hole. I don't know. I, I don't have fully formed ideas on about anything really, but particularly about this. I mean, is it the, is it, do we rely on the promotion of the big presses? Is that really what they have? Here's what I, yeah, I, I think it's more the gatekeeper thing is, is I want to go through a gatekeeper. I want somebody official to say that this is good enough. And I know the gatekeeping apparatus is not perfect by any means. It isn't, and it isn't quality that they're really gatekeeping. It's something else, but, um, the legitimacy that comes with it to me seems incredibly valuable, even if casual readers don't recognize the difference yeah. and also their promotional stuff. Here's the deal that I've thought, okay, I can't break through into that. Um, maybe I need to write a different kind of book that breaks. As soon as you break through once, I think you're kind of there and it seems worth it to me to keep trying to break through into the legit, the legit, whatever, um, sphere yeah and i th the other thing i realize is keep up with the times if you get a certain amount of twitter followers or whatever or you yeah. get some kind of notoriety outside of um i mean i saw i went to a like writer's festival thing a while ago and they had scott simon the NBR guy oh right yeah and mm -hmm. he has multiple books and i realized and the way he talked about them my apologies to scott simon if he hears this he didn't seem like a writer. He seemed like a radio guy that got book deals because he's a radio guy. Right. Like, and, um, and he read some of his book and I, I thought, yeah, I was not, I wasn't super impressed. I was more impressed just with his beautiful voice. And oh, his, it is pretty pear shaped tones. Yeah. And, um, so I think, okay, I can't make it. I'm writing, I'm trying to do it. Maybe I need to get more gimmicky to break through, or maybe I need to do something else to get my name out there. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep sending stuff out to magazines. And to me, it's like a lifelong project of putting your stuff out there. And to and for me, at least, just independently publishing my novels or whatever that are in my that haven't gotten through the gatekeepers is giving up. And just and I know that yeah. I know there's other <laughs> ways to think about it. And I'm not being I'm not saying that to somebody else who's made that decision. Oh, you've given up. That person has made a decision to go that route, and to, and they're, and people are successful in that route sometimes. I think I have too much invested already in the traditional way of building a writing career to to give up now. I think it would feel like it, everything I've done up to now has been just like a waste of time right. in a way. Why not just start publishing my 
everything I wrote from the time I was 16 years old and just, you know, mimeograph them and, you know, zines. I mean, zines were cool. I made a zine in that, in that gorilla yeah. art that I did in I San did Francisco. Too. That yeah. was self-publishing. This podcast is self-publishing. Right. But there's some somehow there's a difference between making gorilla art and then just going the Vanity Press route. And I think it's because of the history of the Vanity Press. And I guess a novel is a different set of ambitions than, um, you know, two schmucks talking on a Saturday morning in a in a radio studio or putting your poems on a on a bus, which is a callback to a previous episode for you longtime listeners. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a novel has a whole different set of ambitions to it. It's a whole different set of work. Um, it's, you know, five years versus, I don't know, whatever it takes to write a short story. Yeah. It takes me probably a lot longer than most people, but still. Yeah, so I, I guess you want to see it rewarded with uh, more distribution and the it's a risk reward type of thing to use sort of the modern day business nomenclature. And I think that you're right. Uh, there is still a certain stigma to it, but I think that it's, it, it is becoming um, less stigmatized as less people can tell the difference between, you know, this is the first time teaching fiction this year where I had people unabashedly turning in fan fiction. Yeah. And I, I wasn't able to pick up on what was the difference between fan fiction and what it wasn't because I don't play these video games, but some of them were just based on video games that they would, and they would be, we'd be, you know, 30 minutes into the workshop and somebody would say, well, I play this video game, so I know who these characters are. And I, you know, I'd have to say, well, wait a minute, you didn't invent the scenario, you didn't invent the character. So I, anyway, the, the lines may be blurring in that same sort of way in terms of publishing, but that doesn't mean it's, it's not worth uh if holly was here i think she could speak to this from a different angle and she talks about fans from a from a grassroots way so um thanks so she's got you know local fans people that come out to see her readings and she can self-publish something in broadly defined just put it on the internet whatever and she'll get those people to to read it and get into it and if you get enough fans then the stigma of self-publishing goes away. If you sell 50,000 copies, you know, then nobody can argue with that. That's, yeah. that's big stuff. And also the big houses will be happy to take your next contract if you actually have 50,000 sales, you know, if, as long as you're not giving it away. If it's 99 cents a book, then people do notice, notice that. It's not right. legitimately selling 50,000 copies because you're, you're giving them away at a loss is what is going on. Um, and I guess if the print book actually kind of goes away as the, you know, if it becomes 10% of book sales sometime in the future, then I think the idea of self-publishing probably changes again because it costs nothing except your own time and effort and maybe some editing work to upload something. Yeah. And it costs so little, but yet doing a a print run run of 5,000 or 10,000 or or 50000 yeah, yeah. costs a bunch of money. I mean, that's right. a huge investment. I talked to uh, uh, Robert Coover, yeah. uh, the author, the famous author. I, I interviewed him for Fifth Wednesday Journal, and he was talking about what he thought publishing was going to be in 100 years, and he thought it would be much closer to video games than uh, than books that we have now. He I, he, I forget the analogy he used, but he said that um, it took 150 years between the invention of the printing press to the first novel, which was... Don Quixote, according to him. And, uh, well, I guess that's generally regarded to be correct. But he said that took 150 years. And so he thought we're 150 years away from this technology changing the novel again, 
although maybe at this point, you know, we're 15 years into this already. So like in 135 years, we'll have the first modern day novel based on the technology that we have. And he thought it would look a lot more like a video game in the sense that there would be a lot more visuals to it and there might be music to it, but that there would still be the narrative element. So yeah, I suppose. Whatever. I think you should just hang Those yeah. things already exist. And it's not, listen, every, I've been hearing that kind of stuff forever. And there is something that visual medium and oral medium media are better at than words on a page, but there are some things that words on a page is just superior. Right. And there's certain kinds of, you know, the, the wheel has not been replaced for all, you know, for all of our, there is not a better design circular. Yeah. That's, you know, that's how that goes. It, you're not going to get better than that. Sure. You're not going to get better at losing yourself in an imaginary world that you create with your own mind, with suggestions by symbols on a page that is always going to be more personalized than somebody else's vision of that by having actors play it on a screen. Okay. Right? When you see that character that plays whatever character that you... When you see the book that you've read on and film version, there's always a little bit it's of disappointment yeah. that the character, especially if it's a famous actor that brings all the baggage of the famous actor's other roles, it's not as good as it was in your imagination because you created it custom-made for your own. And so... I think that's that, that is not going to change that that basic dynamic that basic fact, and um, I find know. that inspiring. You've inspired me today. Good. I'm going to keep trying to get my book published. I want to hear from Robert Cooper. I'm like I'm not uh -huh. backing down on this one. He's famous, but he can call it. He can write a nasty tweet. Right. And I'll just say, <laughs> hey, hey, man. Well, you know, he was doing all that stuff in the '70s. He was already working on like you know oh, yeah. stories with links in it and stuff like that. So yes. he's, you know, he he's want, a, well, he's invested in this idea. He's that, a visionary, right? That that it's going to change radically and right. he's one of the first cutting edge people and the Nostradamus who predicted it. And this is one of the topics that I would love to hear from our listeners on and uh, hopefully you know you can comment in the comment section and we can address those in, in, in future shows because this is obviously something that now that you and I are going to hash out although I, I do feel inspired to keep going with the traditional presses even though they've been so unkind to my shitty writing in the past <laughs> calling me out on it. Not shitty. Just otherly good. <laughs> That's right. Good in a very non-commercial way. That's the, my favorite rejection, which is, this is awesome, but we're just not looking for that at the moment. Yeah. Um, all right, what are, you, what are you working on? What are you reading? What are you, uh, what are you thinking about? I guess I already sort of spoiled it for last time. I, you were smart to I, I was back. cagey. I even brought my book in. Yeah. So what, how about, let me just ask you. What yeah. are you doing? What are you oh. working on? What are you reading? I'm glad you asked that, Kelly. I'm reading uh, The Ruined Map by Kobo Abe. It is. It looks um, like a, a big press publication. It's a big press publication, it and sure it isn't even like new. It. Look at the title. Look at the cover. I you can't can tell. tell, though. No, I mean, let's see. You can tell. What's they the don't... name of the press? Oh, I don't know. I Kobe can't... Abe Productions. Yeah, neither one of us have our reading glasses on, kids. The Ruined. The Ruined Map. Now, I don't know anything about it, um, so we'll sort of like uh, podcast. But the, the reason I'm reading it is because I had, uh, and I think I mentioned this in an earlier program, but uh, I had gone on this tear of reading uh, crime noir books. Uh, I just yep. love them. And, and, uh, and I ran out of ones that I was interested. I'm trying not to read detective novels, that kind of thing. I'm not as interested in that kind of stuff. Um, you know, tough guy stuff, but, um, crime noir. And anyway, somebody told me that this was an old Japanese, uh, uh, novel that is sort of a 
take on an American crime noir novel. And uh, I'm, as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm 14 pages into it. My bookmark, for the listeners at home, is a lottery ticket, which is worth $10. Woo. So I'm going to get uh, two more lottery tickets with it. Really? And maybe read two more books. You think I should just cash it in for the money? Take Probably. my money and go. Yeah, I think you'll just lose it. Your theory is you just keep buying new lottery tickets. I think that's going to pretty much add, end up at zero. One of them will have to be a winner. They won't. That's incorrect. They don't all have... One of them doesn't have to be a winner. Now you've uninspired Somebody me. Somebody said there's a quotation about playing the lottery is that the chance of winning isn't really affected by whether you play or not. I like that. Eh? Yeah, that's good. I think I said that. You I wish I had said that. Um... So what about you? you is know, it a good book? 14 pages. You 14 like pages. Yeah, it's great. You know what I really like about it is that it's a translation, and it's a little bit stiff translated. I, I, I really, I, I love reading translations, especially it was translated 60 years ago, so the Argo is a little bit off, and I think it's a British translation, so the Argo is a little bit off again. And um, I just I find that it's a very transporting thing to be reading a book where you can still understand what's being said, but it's just off, the diction's off, and the pacing's off. Girl with a the bit. Dragon Tattoo is all like, what? I mean, there. I think it's part of it is maybe it was just written that way. Yeah. But the translation was kind of there's these kind of rudimentary robot like sound to some of the reading. Okay. And I that's just of, bad translation. I think probably, but yeah. it. Uh, but I like it because it feels like a found object. Yeah. Like it's not polished. It's like broken in a way because they just didn't have the resources to do it right. <laughs> right. And um, they're trying so, to churn it out. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I, I enjoyed reading Proust for the same reason. And there's this new translation. And I, I haven't read the new translation, but it's it, you know they kind of modernized the whole thing. And I think you're losing something. You, I mean, you want to be you want to be challenged a little bit by the boringness or the pomposity of it. You know, it feels like you're accomplishing something to read it. <laughs> uh, that's me. I forget you're not you're going to hold back. I just to be bit, yeah. I said yeah. I'm I'm haven't worked on anything or read anything or taught anything in since we finished our last podcast well you need to get on the stick yeah i know i've got three short stories written in the time that uh wow we've been reset here so i think we're good then yeah that's great are you good this was a lot of fun as always i enjoy these saturday morning talks me too i always do is that it that's that's good okay (laughs) all right right. thanks. thanks everybody bye Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Radio. This program is produced by Gabe Tucker with funding from the Augustana College English Department and theme music by Subatlantic. You can reach us on Facebook at Personal Rejection Letter. See you next time.